2: Halcyon, the Book of Paimon, is a fantasy horror podcast inspired by historical events and characters. This work of fiction was designed, developed, and produced by a multicultural team of various religious faiths and beliefs. Professor Paimon lives in a dangerous world. And his story contains themes of violence, gore, adult situations, and language. Listener discretion is advised.
3: Chapter 8 Meetings and Partings Calliope sat in the shade with Siobhan, needle and thread in her hand, helping to mend costumes and fix beadwork. There was a slight breeze, and it brought a mild chill with it, warning of fall and cooler days ahead. A small shiver shook Calliope, and the needle sunk into the flesh of her thumb. Again,
4: I'm afraid for all the skill my mother had with sewing. I inherited none of it. (laughs) It certainly takes practice, dear. And I didn't know your ma. That was before my time with the show. But I think I would have liked her. Do you have a big family, Siobhan? I... I did, once, through years and sicknesses and famines and fighting, I'm all that's left now, besides, all the whispers and stories back in the lands where we were from, it's what I hold in my heart, of course some things you can never let go no matter how far away they seem i i'm so sorry i i i didn't mean to bring up painful memories for you i suppose i used to think i was the only one left all alone dry your tears dairy i'm fine And you, you have a big family here now. I heard from the professor that you decided to stay with us and be part of the show. Well, I'm happy to make myself useful wherever I can, but I haven't any talent to be in the show. Why, I'm no acrobat and I've nothing special about me don't worry the professor has a knack for finding your talent you may find that you surprise even yourself
2: my
3: thoughts precisely good afternoon ladies even in the bright sunlight he somehow seemed to coalesce from the shadows The professor was undoubtedly already prepared for the matinee in his full suit and bowler hat. Yet, there seemed to be something uncharacteristically disjointed in his always calm and self assured countenance. Calliope studied his dark features, trying not to seem too obvious.
4: Good afternoon, professor. Is everything all right?
3: No cause for concern, Miss
2: Calliope, but you are very astute. Would you mind accompanying me to my wagon? There is some news I must share and some instructions I must go over with you, as I am planning to be out of town for a few days.
4: With me? Certainly Uncle Sidney or Mr. Eli are more qualified to see to the show.
2: Certainly. "'Yes, but that's not what I wish to discuss. "'And you are my partner now, "'which comes with certain responsibilities. "'So,
3: if you please.'" With a reassuring nod from Chiffon, Kalypie put down her sewing and dutifully followed the professor back through the thoroughfare to his wagon on the other side of the camp. They walked in silence, Unusual for the man who made an art of polite, yet probing conversation. But, if Calliope had learned anything over the last few weeks, it was that it was best not to question the professor. Once they settled in the wagon, and Professor Pyman was behind his large oak desk, an envelope was placed in Calliope's hands. Uh,
4: uh another invitation? Are we to do another show, Professor?
3: No, my
2: dear. It is an invitation to attend a performance, not wholly unlike our own at the Edgerton's. Only this time, it is Mrs. Prescott, who, since this strange ordeal with her son, has become quite obsessed with all things occult. She is hosting a salon this coming Saturday,
3: and I would like for you to attend in my stead. Calliope involuntarily shivered, thinking back to the night at the Edgerton's Gala. It wasn't just the performance or her brief stint as the magician's assistant, but what came afterward. She let her eyes rove around the professor's wagon half wondering if she would see Lydia Whittington's impressive necklace displayed among the many shelves of treasures, curiosities, and artifacts that lined the room.
2: As I was saying, Mrs. Prescott's kind invitation falls to you to attend as my representative. I must away to my old home in New Orleans for a few days. How is your head, my dear? I'll ask you to pay mine to any instructions from Gideon and Eli for your own safety.
3: Do you understand? He didn't wait for an answer. Calliope nodded, instinctively raising a hand to the scar on her head, and took the invitation, noting the time of the engagement. She blinked up at the professor awaiting further instruction for her afternoon with world-renowned medium, Madame Erzabet Orzel, at the Prescott's. He seemed distracted, dismissing her with a wave of his hand and without another word. As Calliope rose to leave, a familiar voice rang out near the wagon's exterior, chiding some poor soul to move out of his way. Without any ceremony, or even a knock, her uncle, Sidney Calibus, came storming through the door. He marched past Calliope, as if she were invisible, and went straight for Professor Pyman.
2: So, rumor has it that you're leaving. That is so. I realize it is abrupt, but it can't be helped. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have many preparations to make. Eli will be manning halcyon until my return, and you can continue to do Sydney, whatever it is that you do. Uh, whatever it is that I do, so your intention has Always been to trap me here, to saddle me with this show. Now with this girl, whilst you enjoy your freedom, isn't that right, partner? No wonder you never want to discuss our contract. Well, now you have my replacement, as I have previously pointed out. I should be as free as you are. Sydney, this is hardly the time. (laughs) I'm warning you. My patience is thin at this moment, and as you are somehow emboldened to have this discussion now and in front of your niece, it is hardly appropriate. Have some decorum man decorum you who threatens me every five minutes with death and dismemberment I will not stand for it any longer professor you are making your departure and so I will make mine you have had your pound of flesh you have had your decades Now, leave me to my own devices, and I'll leave you to yours. Uh, You have this tantrum every five years or so, and you always come slinking back within the week. Fine. Go now if you must. But trust me, i will always find you and you'll fulfill your contract one way or the other
5: it was always silas that you wanted anyway well i've done you one better i gave you the girl now And she signed the dotted
3: line. Calliope blinked against the shock that cocooned her as her uncle's stinging words found their mark on her as well. They had just been reunited, hadn't they? The man who had held her close that first day, going on about how she had been returned to him by God himself. Calliope looked from Sydney, to the professor, and then back at the ringmaster.
4: Uncle Sidney, surely you you don't mean to leave me?
3: Sidney's beady eyes turned coldly to his niece. His face was like a snake's. There was no feeling, no emotion that she could make out. He pointed to a stack of papers on the desk smiled a slow aching grin
6: you
2: were a means to an end my dear as was I all these years but my servitude has ended with or without his blessing and my dear yours has just begun Sydney, I am warning you. I will- Warning me? Or you'll what? Carve my heart out with a teaspoon. (laughs) In front of the girl, no less.
3: The two men stared at one another, deadlocked in a silent battle. Clypie stood frozen in place, Unable to move from her corner near the desk, the silence stretched between her uncle and the professor. She was unsure if it was purely the cold wash of adrenaline surging through her body, but it seemed like the wagon was starting to shake. The glass jars on the shelves tinkled and rattled, and she felt a wave, a pulse, that seemed to come from Pyman's side of the room. His eyes flickered in the shadow. And once again, she saw that terrible light. Well, Professor, is everything alright? Some of the folk heard shouting and asked me to come see about it. There's a uh, quite a crowd out there. Everything is fine, old friend.
2: It seems our ringmaster will be making his departure this evening. With or without my blessing. (sighs) Finally, you've come to your senses.
3: Sidney drew in a deep breath and strained his shoulders. Removing his top hat and shifting his reptilian gaze from Pyman. To Calliope, he took the hat and offered it to the girl, who remained frozen. So he shoved it into her hands.
5: This is
2: your problem now, my girl. And if that one comes back from wherever he's going, your tribulations will double, I assure you. A piece of advice. Read the contract thoroughly before you sign it. Remember that. (laughs) Though, it's a bit too late now.
3: Sidney turned on his heel and strode towards the door, with Pyman and Calliope close behind. Murmurs, whispers, and gasps from the show's performers and roustabouts secreted him as he exited the wagon, clearly intending not to look back. Clippy clasped the hat close to her chest and ran past the professor, chasing Sidney down the path. She stopped and held out the hat to her uncle's retreating figure.
4: You're the only family I have.
2: You'll make your way, my dear niece, and I'll make mine. You've signed your name, so you have a new family now.
4: Uncle Sidney, please. What about Silas? What about your brother? The circus that you built together?
3: This made Sydney pause. He turned around and took a few quick steps back to his niece. She looked up, hopefully, and held out the hat, which he theatrically brushed aside. Calliope's face fell again as her uncle reached out, looking into her eyes and brushing aside a stray brown curl just as he had on the day when they first met. Do
2: whatever you want with it. And that elephant, too, more trouble than she was worth. I tell you, young lady, I am free. My brother, or
4: anything
2: left of him, is no concern of mine.
4: Please, Uncle Sidney, for God's sake!
3: Their faces were very close now. Close enough so that only Calliope could hear him. The heat of his breath tickled her cheek. Trust me, my
2: dear, when I say that God has nothing to do with it. I bid you farewell and wish you luck. You're going to
6: need it.
3: A hush fell over the onlookers as glances darted from Professor Pyman to Calliope to Sydney's retreating form. Pyman stood expressionless just outside his wagon while Calliope collapsed to her knees on the path, ringmaster's hat in her lap. Gideon ran to her side, and Siobhan dried Calliope's tears with the edge of her apron. Everyone from the performers to the roustabouts seemed to be present, and the hushed whispers grew into a raucous noise in the meadow that seemed to grow smaller and smaller with each passing moment.
2: Enough! Enough! We will sort this out, my friends. Please, go back to chores and your duties. Why, if anyone is unhappy here, well, we don't want that, do we? I'll be taking a brief leave of absence, as some important business requires my attention. But worry not. Worry not, dear friends. I will return. And when I do, we'll have a season finale we won't soon forget. The show must go on! I'm sorry to leave the show in such a manner, Eli. Fuck. But as you can understand, recent developments have left me little choice, I'm afraid.
5: It's... It's all right, Professor. I understand. Will the, uh... Will the twins be
3: accompanying you on your trip? Pyman continued placing miscellaneous items in a large leather satchel. Eli, who was also the show's human blockhead, though the Professor detested the term stood before the desk, waiting with a pen and paper for further instruction.
2: Yes, Eli. Though the need for our abrupt departure is quite solemn in nature, you know I'd never deny my ladies the opportunity to experience the finer things in life once again. Albeit briefly will be gone a fortnight at most.
3: <sighs> Hyman placed both hands on the large oak desk and closed his eyes. He felt the smooth, cold sturdiness of the surface under his fingers, which he curled against the polished wood. All this
2: time... All this time, Eli, I have only sought to live my life in safety and peace. To ensure the safety and peace for my children. But. Every turn there is some new peril some new
5: threat awaiting us You've you've always done right by them professor We all know that They know that
2: That's a very kind of you to say, Eli. Truly.
5: And you've always done right by me, sir. You took a chance on me when the show settled here. I was living on the street after I aged out of the orphanage doing anything I could to survive
2: you have a light about you Eli you weren't meant to rot there my only regret is that I didn't find you sooner
5: well that fucking priest can rot in hell for what he did to me and all the other boys growing up. It was you, wasn't it, Professor? You sent him on his way, Father Michael. I hope
2: it brings you some semblance of peace, Eli. May it please you to know he called out for mercy and a lamb.
5: There was none. I only wish I could have done it myself.
2: No. I know you, dear boy. And that brand of retribution may live in your head, but not in your heart. Thoughts versus actions. Those are two very different things, my lad. And so I took it on for you as I would for any of my children. Chin up, my boy instead of hate.
5: Let hope live there instead. It's always something. To know you've done the most you could. But don't leave off hoping or it's of no use
3: doing anything. Hope. Hope to the last. Hyman opened his eyes and raised his head. A smile crept across his face.
2: Dickens. If I'm not
5: mistaken. Ah! Yes, sir. I at first thought to go with a verse from the Bible. But given the circumstance, I thought better of it. Humor me. What passage? You will be secure. Because there is hope. You will look about you and take your rest in safety. That's
2: Job. Job. Chapter 11, verse 18 and 19. Trust me. I'm familiar with the passage, Eli, though, I must say, I am much more partial to Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 25.
5: I'm sorry, professor. I'm afraid that particular passage escapes my recollection.
3: Hyman walked to the window of the wagon and stared out at the throngs of people milling about the grounds. So naive. So blissfully ignorant of the invisible battles that raged all around them. Destruction
2: cometh. And they shall seek peace, and there shall be
5: none. Ah, <clears throat> yes. Well, I will leave you to your preparations, Professor. But, rest assured, I'll keep a close eye on the show. And I'm sure Gideon will take care of Miss Calliope. Thank you, Eli. I always knew I could
2: count on you. Do me a favor. Find Gideon for me. I have a few last-minute
3: instructions for him as well. Hyman's eyes never left the window as he spoke. His gaze roved over to the performer's tent, then to the peak of the Halcyon tent and the rose beyond. Halcyon. His children. The twins. All that remained of everything he once loved. I will raise the whole
2: world to the ground. I will
3: Ian hated to be parted from Calliope, especially in her fragile state given Sydney's sudden departure. Now the professor's as well. He pulled his newsboy cap down against the wind coming off the nighttime bay and shrugged against an unexpected chill. At least there were no bodies to weigh down tonight, but he had his list of tasks. One check on the state of the asylums on Blackwell's Island. 2. Find the lodgings of a lady named Elizabeth Orzel and her associates. 3. Upon returning from those tasks, watch Calliope and protect her with his life. For his first task, the buildings on Blackwell's Island seem to be standing still. From what he could tell, fort like brick structures still overwhelmed the trees on the horizon, though crumbling rocks and signs of decay were evident, even in the shadows. Why this would concern the professor, Gideon didn't know. But, as always, the professor had his reasons. He stood alone on the bridge for quite some time, taking stock of the island until he got that familiar feeling that feeling of not being alone but also not supposed to be knowing that he wasn't he turned expecting a fight expecting robbers or 'er ne'er-do-wells out to shake a fella down who happened to be out too late at night but instead he found a woman She was not young, but somehow not old. She was tall and willowy, with a white, ageless face that seemed illuminated and ethereal under the sputtering street lamps. She carried a parasol as if she were out on nothing more than a pleasant midday stroll in a wore light-colored, fashionable dress whose skirts swished as she walked towards the tall man on the bridge.
6: Lovely evening for a stroll, is it not? Why? I was hoping that I would find just the right man to escort me for my nightly constitutional. How auspicious that I should find just such a
3: gentleman. Gideon doffed his hat and... Blushed a little in the darkness. The woman slinked toward him, the tip of her parasol tapping the cobblestones with each step. A pair of depthless, dark eyes fluttered up at him. She adjusted one of her gloves and gave him a demure grin. Oh my! Miss, it's awfully late for a lady to be out and all, let alone on her own. Are are you quite well? Let's get you home, then.
6: (laughs) Oh, I assure you, Gideon, I'm quite well. Especially now that you're here.
3: Uh, I'm certainly happy to help you, ma'am. (laughs) Why don't we be on our way?
6: Mm Mm-hmm. Why, I'd be delighted.
3: Here, ma'am. Take my arm. These roads can be treacherous. Especially in lady shoes. By the way, I... don't remember telling you my name.
6: It's just a little talent I have. You look like a Gideon. Has anyone ever told you that?
3: Nah, I don't suppose so. The mysterious woman's hips swayed in her tight frock, at times making contact with the Gideon as she sidestepped a puddle or stumbled into him having hidden Aaron's stone in the walkway. She smelled of an exotic perfume, but not a scent he knew well. Like lavender. Can I be smelled of lavender? The lights became dimmer as they finally crossed the bridge. A large park and row of townhomes stretched before the pair, Dark shadows of poplars and fruit trees reached into the night sky. A fog seemed to have rolled in suddenly, and it covered the cobblestones up past their ankles.
6: The one on the very end is mine. It's so kind of you to see me home.
3: Yes, ma'am. Not a bother at all.
6: There are so few true gentlemen left in the world. Ah, imagine my luck. I dare say I've never felt so safe on my nightly walk. Though I do find things here a little peculiar tonight. Including you.
3: Well, I... I am that. a. I- your person. Uh, have you been to the island, then? Seen our show? A street lamp near the corner home lit up her face, and the ghost of a smile danced on her lips. She turned her countenance up and set her piercing gaze on a full study of Gideon's features.
6: So, I knew you were one of his. Mm. A handsome one, though. Oh, the things I could do with you. But I'll let you go. Tonight. Ma'am? Mm. Here. Here.
3: The woman sashayed up to the first step of the narrow staircase and lifted a cool, soft hand to Gideon's cheek. Before he knew what was happening, her lips were on his, her tongue flicking across his lower lip, deepening the kiss. Gideon resisted, but just as quickly felt as though he were drowning with no desire for air. At first, she tasted sweet, like tea cakes with honey. But as she pulled away, Gideon got the sense of something bitter, something deep and brewing, like coffee that had been left to simmer too long. In the wake of the shock of his first kiss, all Gideon could do a stare, dumbly, as she turned around and climbed to the door.
6: Good night, Gideon. Do tell your professor that Madame Elizabeth Orzel sends her regards.
4: from the band Cicero. Links to their music can be found in our show notes and on our website. All episodes are available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. New episodes are released bi-weekly on Wednesdays. And Professor Pyman asks that you please rate, review, and subscribe. And follow us on all the social media platforms or visit us at halcyonpodcast.com for more
6: information.